Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. We have a really awesome, in-depth, just extensive conversation with Mike Rothstein of ESPN. He's been on the show before. You guys have definitely heard him before. He does awesome, awesome work covering the Falcons. So get ready for that. I mean, every time Mike's on here, we go all over the place, which is partially by design, partially just great content. And it's always very informative. And today's discussion was no different. So because we didn't have a show uh, on Monday, Happy holidays for everybody. Merry Christmas for those who celebrated. Um, we talk a lot about the Falcons' 29-10 to 10 win against the Colts. Obviously, a huge win. The Falcons' seventh of the season. And more importantly, they really showed signs of life on offense for the entirety of a game for the first time, really, this season. And we talk a lot about kind of why that is. Is it purely just a change at quarterback? Is it that simple? Well, maybe not, but that conversation leads into just a really solid football talk. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, on the back end, going to just kind of talk about what the rest of the season holds. Um, New Year's Eve coming up. The Falcons have the, uh, the game against the Bears, so that'll be on New Year's Eve. So figuring out kind of the plans for that. But Ovi and I expect to hit the mics uh, to break all of that down. If you guys want to, you want to check out the video content. I know, you know, it's not the way that I listen to podcasts. I just like to fire it up on my phone as I'm making dinner or something like that. But a lot of people have come and, and told me that they like to watch our podcast. And you can on YouTube. Go check out our channel, uh, Believe in Falcons. And we're putting up pretty much every single one of our podcasts there. So you can see us uh, record it on video. Mike and I will be there as well. So Let's not waste any more time getting to this conversation because it is a nice meaty one for you guys all on this Thursday. So here we go with Mike. But first, the only people that don't get time off this year are pro athletes and the fine people at Bet Online. With the NFL, NBA, and college football bowl games in full swing this holiday season, Bet Online isn't taking a second off to make sure you have all the up to the second odds, news, and info. BetOnline has all the sports wagering info you need with both desktop and mobile access, so you can get it anywhere you need to. Head to their website today to get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Very excited to be joined by Mike Rothstein, a friend of the program, a friend of mine, and an excellent reporter for ESPN covering the Atlanta Falcons. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm sad at that order, though. I feel like the second thing should have been first, and the second, third thing should have been second. Because like, it's nice to be a friend of the program, but at the same time, <laughs> that's, I'd rather be a friend of yours, that's, Will. You are... That, I got them mixed up. You know, honestly, all podcasting is, is just going from like word to word to word, hoping that you get them right, hoping that you say the right ones. And it's so, uh, is, so is, so is radio, which I've been doing all more all this week, every morning uh, on ESPN radio hosting on Sportsmanlike, along with uh, Bears reporter Courtney Cronin. Uh, so we've, we're going to see a lot of each other this week. You can also watch that uh, depending if you're listening this Thursday or Friday, six to 10 a.m. on ESPNU, 6 to 8 a.m. on ESPN2. Uh, that is my first plug of the day. Uh, that was beautiful. I'm filling in for, I'm filling in for Evan uh, Canty and Michelle Smallman uh, all week long. I've been since Monday. Uh, it's been fun. We're recording this Tuesday night. And mm -hmm. on Tuesday, Tuesday morning, we were talking about um, ancient baths and how, whether or not they're actually public pools. It, there's a clip between... I, I, Put it on X. Yeah, it's a thing. So where'd you guys where'd you guys land on on ancient baths, public pools? Um, I, Courtney and I believe that spas are great. Our producer Pat Costello thinks that they're public pools, so that's where we are. Uh, you know, I I can I can see the argument for both sides, so I'm gonna have to go uh, check that out. But I love how you 
pivoted that right back true professional after, you know, our, our uh, rocky beginning there with me basically saying that I, I like you as a guest more than a person, but we'll just skate right I'm, over most that. People do, so we're good. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have that effect on people in Atlanta, apparently. Also on winning. So, you know. We, we can go from there. Well, all right. So you're the, the reverse Taylor Heineke, right? Because he had quite the effect on the Falcons winning uh, chances this Sunday. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have no effect on anything. It just seems like I cover teams. That you got a haircut and, and the Falcons bounce back. So, I, you know, don't sell yourself short. I think you had. I got, I got, I hate to break it to you, but I got the haircut before the uh, Tampa game. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean. I haven't seen you, really yeah, not haven't seen you here, uh, since, uh, since that moment. So that in my mind, you and Arthur Smith just texted each other and you said, hey, we're trimming the hair this weekend. It's big. <laughs> Got to go for it. So that, listen, that was the most surprising thing of the weekend. Not their offense performance, not their defense performance. Friday afternoon, I was talking Arthur Smith, mustache still fully intact. Sunday morning, I watched her around noon. I watched him walk out to say hi to his dad, Fred, and his wife, Allison, kids. And I was like, wait, there's something missing. And I was like, oh, no mustache. I tweeted it like immediately. Like that, I was like, that's no matter win or lose, that's the biggest move. <laughs> It, it, what did he say? He had to church it up for the holidays. He had to get churched yeah, up, for the the church it up for the holidays, yeah. which again, I, I sure. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you respect it, but whatever works. And clearly the move to Taylor Heineke worked for Atlanta's offense. And I, yeah. I want to start here and, you know, I know this is a little bit of a silly question, but I, I hope you'll humor me and then we can go on long rambling tangents from there as we always do. Sure. But is it too reductive to say that the quarterback position was the, the problem for Atlanta's offense this whole time? I can understand why you would think that would be reductive, but no, uh, that's a fair, that's a fair question and a fair criticism because it looked like the play calling was much more confident. It looked like there was more available to them in the playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked also like someone who had played, however much was Taylor played, like 50 games, something like that at this point. Yeah. So, somewhere in there. And that uh, it, it, looked more, it looked more like that than it did someone, and someone who's been a starter multiple places than it did Desmond Ritter, where it, it also looked like, frankly, a coach in offense that wasn't afraid of like the backbreaking mistake, right? By the way, uh, mm-hmm. that was all. He started, appeared in 37 games, started in 20. So it's, you know, another half, another three quarters of a season. But Taylor's also been around for a while older. I, do I think that that's the total thing? No. Because I don't think that Taylor, Taylor Heineke is necessarily the answer at quarterback either for the Falcons long term. But for right now, it is. And look, I mean, Taylor hit through some really tough passes and tight windows, particularly one to Drake London. That felt like it was almost in triple coverage. His ball, his ball on the touchdown cat on the touchdown pass to Kyle Pitts was Beautiful. A, a perfectly run route. That's one of the better routes I've seen Kyle Pitts run all year. And the ball was perfectly placed. Uh, a little bit of body catch from Kyle Pitts there, though. Which <laughs> the ball looked like when it was I watched it from above uh, uh, from Austin Hill's stuff. I was like, mm, that, that was more body catch than I realized. <laughs> but. Uh, listen, I thought the offense ran really well. Uh, it seemed like they had a lot of confidence in what they were doing, but some of that too was spurred by the fact that they got really good defensive pressure. Everything worked really, it felt like in sync and in concert. And every time they got into Indianapolis territory, Will, they, they got points. It wasn't always a touchdown, yeah. obviously, but they got points. That was the, the biggest difference right there. So yeah, a little bit reductive, sure, but I don't think it's completely um, wrong to think. So the biggest thing that I saw and and just noticed, and I'm curious if, if you saw the same thing, but I think it's the, it's kind of the, um, the eye test version of, of what you're explaining and how the offense just seems smoother. It seemed like more was available to Arthur Smith at any given time, partially because I thought the Falcons did just a better job on first down, kind of staying in position to do something, kind of anything on second and third down. But part of this was 
because I, I felt that Taylor Heineke did a much better job than Desmond Ritter has this season at not just finding his check down and, and not just finding his, you know, second or third read, but finding them when he had to and then letting the ball go when he needed, like in the rhythm of the play. And it felt like at times when Desmond Ritter was progressing from one to two to three, if he got to three, it, it was taking a while. He was patting the ball. He was kind of waiting for something to come open. Whereas Taylor Heineke seemed like he just knew in his mind from the years of experience, it's like, all right, here's my plan. When I walk up to the line of scrimmage, it's not there. Boom, we're going to plan B. Boom, we're going to plan C. And there was an urgency that I thought kept Atlanta, again, just the menu was open because they were getting, you know, second and three because he jumped, dumped it off to Bajan who made a guy miss and then all of a sudden was pushed out of bounds for a seven yard gain. And that's, you'll take that and you'll live with that. And it kind of felt like that's what Arthur Smith was alluding to after the game when he was just saying that, you know, Taylor did a good job of, of not forcing it of kind of playing yeah. playing in the the style of offense and keeping them in a rhythm. Well, I mean, that's one of the bigger criticisms on Desmond Ritter was that he would pull points. I mean, case in point was that last interception he threw against Carolina mm-hmm. was a forced ball. I yeah. mean, uh, you go back and look at some of the other interceptions, like an interception earlier in the season on a ball to Van Jefferson. Like, he forced that. Like, there have been forced plays, forced passes from Desmond Ritter, which led to turnovers. And they also, I mean, they didn't turn the ball over at all. That's a big, big key yeah. too. And, you know, this is, again, not, this isn't like a, like, poop on Desmond Ritter podcast here, but I mean, Ritter had more turnovers than he had starts or touchdowns. Like, that, that's a problem. And it got, it got to the point where it, it just became too much. Mm-hmm. And the thing that stood out to me when you're watching Taylor Heineke was forget which play it was. But there was a play where it was very obvious. He was like, first, first regression was here. Nope, not there. Second regression was here. Nope, not there. His first, the first third down of the game for Atlanta's offense was like that, where he finds Scotty Miller for like a 12 yard gain on, on third and long. And I mean, that was kind of Arthur Smith's point after the game was yeah, that, that first third down is so crucial. And it just felt like the number of three and outs, the number of, you know, five and out, six and outs, or whatever we were seeing from Atlanta's offense, they just weren't, again, putting themselves in a position to make these third downs a little bit more manageable. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of their biggest problems, really, uh, the last, since Matt Ryan left. Seriously. Yeah. Since Matt Ryan left, that's been one of their biggest problems because Marcus Mariota would do the same thing, get them in some negative plays. In a different type of offense. They ran a heck of a lot more zone read, a heck of a lot more running. And I think that was part of it, too, was that you're not going to really run many zone reads or quarterback designed runs for Taylor Heineke. Mm-hmm. He, can, he can move a little bit. We saw that. He scrambled a couple times, had some had some nice runs. Ran into the kicking net. That was ran into the kicking net. Yeah, uh, I meant to ask him whether that was like some added drama for fun. I might he ask him. Bounced that right back up. You know, credit to him. Yeah, I might ask him that tomorrow, actually, uh, or well, yesterday. I might ask him that yesterday uh, <laughs> for, for your podcast listeners. So you're getting, you know, you're getting the past in the future. When will now be then? We'll see. Is my back going to uh, be better, man? I woke up yesterday, which is the first back pain of my life. So I just. Will it welcome, be better? Welcome to welcome to creeping toward middle age. That now comes every day. Yeah, one one um, year of having a kid, and my back is already yeah. ruined. I mean, so I would just say that. I mean, I, I it just felt like Taylor made a lot of, made decisions quicker, better. Um, and it seemed like they made a conscious effort to get everybody involved, where we hadn't seen that to date, right? Like it had either been, oh, Bajon had 100 yards from scrimmage, but Kyle Pitts disappeared and Drake London, you know, had six targets. Or Drake mm-hmm. London had a heck of a game, but, you know, people are complaining because Tyler Algier got more carries than, than Bajon Robinson, even though Bajon's attempted touches was high, you know, or, hey, where's Kyle Pitts been the last month? But, you know, none of those questions were asked after Sunday's game. They, it looked like they had finally found the, I'll call it the core competency of their offense and what they can theoretically build on from there. Now it'll be real interesting when they, this weekend when they Chicago because Chicago's defense is probably a bit more aggressive than Indianapolis's, 
You know, they, they obviously just got Montez Sweat, who... Yeah. I know there are Falcons fans who are annoyed about that still. I don't know why, but there are. And again, Montez Sweat not worth your potential first-round pick, which is what it would have been. You know, or yeah. even two seconds. You know, or because it say they had traded the conditional pick with Ridley, right? Which right now I believe sits at a third because of his stats. I'd have to go more, but it's close. Like he's played enough that I think it should get to be a third. Well, let's say they traded that on the second. Well, you're trading them potentially if he resigns. You're trading two twos for Montez Sweat, I guess, maybe. But those two you know, twos, pretty could, good, man. He does, but okay. Let's for argument's sake here, right? Yeah. I think everybody is in agreement. They're probably looking for a quarterback, at least one, if not two quarterbacks this offseason. Yeah, that that, that feels like that writing is on the wall. Well, if you need to move up to get that, and so let's say say they don't make the postseason. Let's say they're picking 12th. Let's just pick that out of the hat. And say you feel like you need to move up to four. Well, an extra second is a really nice capital to have. It is. Versus Montez Sweat as an edge rusher. Because, yeah, well, because again, you might, you probably maybe would need to move both those seconds. Mm-hmm. Because that might keep you from moving a player that is a young player that maybe you feel is part of your system to go get that quarterback. Like, they're, they're, everything, you know, it's like one of those butterfly effects, right? That's, that's true. But also having a, a young premier pass rusher is, I mean, quarterback, sure. If you have a needed quarterback, that is the 1A, got to figure it out position in the NFL. But, you know, defensive end, I think for some teams, like getting that that premier guy sure. off the edge is, is two, is three. It depends on how you want to build. But, like, I think that that could be worth it. And then you still could figure out a way to get your quarterback even though I get where you're coming from, where it mortgages the ability to kind of do some of the other things you want to do, because then how do you get those extra picks to maybe move up for that quarterback? It it becomes a yeah, domino effect. Future assets. There's, there's right. a whole bunch yeah. of stuff in there that, to me, I understand why. Yeah. Right? Like I think if the Bears and Falcons picks had been closer, because remember when I mean when that was going on, Atlanta was. What leading the division at that point? Um, yeah, around the trade deadline. Like were, yeah, yeah. They they, yeah. they looked like they, it was it looked very plausible that they were going to win the division. So be picking in the twenties mm-hmm. versus you yeah, know near what, the what maybe had it been right. after that three game losing streak, then maybe all of a sudden that maybe is a little bit more attractive, and they could have you know maybe juiced it up a little bit where. That it could have that second could have been a little bit different. So yeah, I, I'm just saying like that. They're going to see Montez Sweat this weekend, and uh, you know we'll see what happens. Yeah, I Not mean, to go back to I'm just saying like that to me because again, Washington's calculus on that too is that Chicago's because at that point, don't forget Chicago was looking like they oh, were going to yeah, be able no, to one and two picks in the draft. I totally that like get it first. from from Washington standpoint. I get it from the the team building philosophy, but I I just think that you could also make the argument that some of the margins of victory for and margins of defeat for Atlanta this year are are so small that maybe a player like Montez Sweat, if you do acquire services, like maybe you're winning one or two of these games that he's getting that stop on the quarterback who's you know, kind of scrambling on that big third down that have come back to bite the Falcons, right? Well, also there would have been the question of, well, where are you going to play him? Because Grady had just gotten, remember, Grady had just gotten hurt at that point. Mm -hmm. So you're still figuring all that out. And they ended up getting Catavius Street, who was a good player until he got hurt. But so is he displacing Calais? Well, Calais has played really well for you. He He has, right. At that point, David David Ominiato was not injured. Hurt, right. So where was he playing? So is he was he going to play the second line for you this year? Maybe. I mean, that's great. But then all you know whose development you're spending at that point? Arnold Zach McKay, Harrison. Start, Zach Harrison's, yeah. Yo, I mean Harrison more than advocate, but yeah, like you're probably stunting Zach Harrison's growth. And guess what? Zach Harrison's got three sacks in the last two games. And if if Calais, if Calais does not come back, you can easily see him maybe sliding into that that starting spot there. And if Calais does come back, he might still slide into that starting spot. And then you've got 
you've got even more flexibility to play with, right? Because Calais can move move multiple places. So again, uh, they could have done that with Montez Sweat too. But anyway, digress. That's not happening. As we spent like four minutes talking about the scenario that, that that's not happening. Look at what you've done. No, but I mean, it's it's a great preview, I, I think, for a lot of fun, interesting offseason conversations once you kind of put the quarterback stuff to the side because that is going to dominate a lot of it. But there still are some some areas where you can pinpoint maybe these specific needs. But one area that I would be surprised if they uh, definitely devote big offseason resources to again would be the running back position. But it was a great day for all three of the running backs. You kind of mentioned that balance and getting everybody involved. And I thought the Jean looked fresh. I thought he looked, you know, kind of faster than he has at, at some points. I thought Tyler Algier kind of continued to really be that drumbeat of the downhill kind of in between the tackles running game. And then Cordero Patterson, I mean, when he gets in there, he and Janu Smith almost run with the exact same intensity when they have the ball in their hands. Like both of those guys just look like you're you're like running against a bull and he's just sees red and he's just kind of ready to to run you over. What do you uh what do you see from the the running backs, all, all three of them in this game? Yeah, I thought they all ran the ball really well. Uh to your point, they probably don't need to go heavy into the running back space because they do have Bajan Robinson and Tyler Algier both under contract for at least two more seasons. Cordero Patterson is a free agent after the year. We'll see mm-hmm. what that looks like. Um, there, there's a lot of, I, I don't know what they would do there at this point. Um, but yeah, to your, by the way, you mentioned, I, I love that you just said Bajan Robinson looked fresh because you want to know who else probably would like to hear that? Arthur Smith, because Arthur Smith was under criticism for not playing Bajan Robinson enough. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, you know, for prior episodes, just such as the last time I was on your podcast and the time before I was on your podcast. Uh, well, this is part of why they tried to do this, mm-hmm. right? Was because they wanted a Bajon Robinson who can be still super fresh like this now. Right. And by the way, still at what, 1,250 some, or some odd all-purpose uh, yards? All-purpose? Yeah. You know, all-purpose yards, and that's with him, you know, missing a game due to uh, an yeah. illness that costs the Falcons $100,000. Like, uh, you know, and, and another game, frankly, you know, against Carolina where he didn't touch the ball all that much because of, frankly, the style of game. I know people, again, criticizing, you took a number eight pick and you're not giving the ball a ton in that type of game. Well, yeah, because he's a guy who's shifty, gets out in space, like open field guy. That that, game, that weather was so bad in Carolina that right. it did not bode well for that and you have the other the you have a tyler algier you have a cordero patterson it's not like yeah people needed bajan yeah well well, the other thing too is people and by the way i say people i mean some social media folks are like well bajan can run between the tackles too sure he can Mm -hmm. but when you have a guy like tyler algier and you have a guy like cordero patterson where that's their specialty right you know, like neither one of those guys goes down very often on first pick from a like pure standpoint, not a boop, boop, boop standpoint, which the boop, boop, boop is Bajan. Yeah. That is for the podcast listeners. That is more how Tyler and, and CP run. Well, you in a game like that Carolina game, you wanted more of that. Right. You know, and that's why we often see as a close in a closer situation. Like a four-minute, that's why Tyler Algier and CP usually are in the game at that point because that's what you want. You mm-hmm. want the fall-forward guy every time. You want the guy who, okay, I'm going to run into you or I'm going to carry you two yards before you take. not saying that Pajan can't do that. I'm just saying his talents are better elsewhere. Yeah, and you're, you're using <laughs> the guys to their strengths. And, I yeah. mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense, but I, I do think people would push back and then say, okay, you fall into the – realm of predictability when other teams can see Bajan come on the field or they see then Tyler Algier come in the on the field and it almost removes the possibility of an outside run with Tyler Algier or an, a down the middle run with with Bajan but, but I don't agree with that both done it. but it doesn't because they've both done it right I mean one of Tyler, 
Tyler's well, his touchdown run was essentially kind of an outside zone. It was, yeah, it, it was, and he got the edge and he outran the defense. I mean, I'm yeah, I, and again, we've seen I that multiple times. Yeah, and we've seen him get get good yardage on screen. CP was a wide receiver until he came here. You know, so that I, I don't think that that's the predictability within the offense. No, I I agree with you, and I, I think it's it's a predictable thing to kind of spot that trend over the span of a game. It may just be easier to say, man, Bajan's run the ball a lot to the outside this game, or all right, Tyler Algiers in, I'll bet they run it up the middle, and then they do that play, and it's like they only ever do the same thing. Do you think that the kind of the the balance that we saw from the offense is the reason that the running game kind of looked as crisp as it has, uh, you know, kind of for most of the season. I know they put up the yardage, but I don't think we saw the number of explosive plays like we did on Sunday. I don't think we saw just the kind of the cohesion of that group. Do you think that had a lot to do with the play of the passing game and it all kind of working together in tandem? Or do you think, you know, there's, there's something that they also maybe have figured out with the run game as well. It's a little of all. Plus, their offensive line has gotten a little bit healthier. You know, Drew Dahlman was back at center. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I've been critical of Drew at points this year, but they clearly see something that they really believe in him. Newsall played well in his yeah. absence, but Dahlman's been the starter for two years for a reason. Uh, Jake Matthews is back, you know, is back and well, he got hurt again, but he told me on Monday, he felt like he was, or Sunday, he told me he thinks he'll be all right. We'll see what happens. Well, again, talking from the past to the future, we'll find out what happens Wednesday on Thursday, what happens. Uh, but, you know, Chris Lindstrom, a bit healthier because don't forget they didn't have him against Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storm Norton's played well in Caleb McGarry's absence. So I think that they've found something offensive line-wise that's helped. And this is going to – I mean, he wasn't in a ton, but Matt Collins is a pretty good blocking receiver, and and that matters. And Van Jefferson played a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, listen, Van Jefferson may not be catching many passes, but, again, they they brought him over for a reason, and some of that was, if you haven't figured it out by now, Atlanta likes receivers who can block. Like, I mean, Drake London is fantastic at it. If you ever watch mm-hmm. him, like, he, Drake London is so physical. So physical as a receiver, but also as a blocker. And, and that matters, too, in, in the run game. And then once that run game gets going, because, and, and also they, they switched it up a little bit. They really passed to run, where so often they've been running to pass. Like, think yeah. of that first drive. Pass, pass, pass. Yep. Sets up that 32-yard or 30-yard, whatever it was, Bajan run. Mm-hmm. That then sets up the 24-yard corner route for Kyle Pitts. Yes. They, they, there's that level of leverage, level of unpredictability. This is what, when I wrote, if it was on your podcast, what, August, September, whatever it was, when we were talking about the positionless yeah, yeah, offense yeah. concept that I wrote about and how Arthur and, and Dave Ragona devised it. This was kind of how they thought of it was – you have a bunch of guys that can do a bunch of stuff and they can do it from a bunch of places. So don't overcomplicate it mm-hmm. and use that leverage. And I felt like Atlanta did that pretty well with not as many position, like different personnel groupings, meaning like people like that first, most of that first drive was the same yeah. grouping of Bajon, Drake London, Kyle Pitt. Ben Jefferson, Kyle Pitts, Johnny Smith, mm-hmm. or Janu Smith, sorry. Um, that was that group for most of, of that first possession and for a lot of their most successful plays. And then they, they would work guys in otherwise. But that, that I feel like they found things there that could help. And there was another element to specifically that first drive. Um, when I had Arthur Smith on on the podcast right before the start of the season, you remember when he was kind of talking about just and I know a lot of coaches do this, a lot of people in the NFL, but how he likes to draw lessons from other sports, other professions, like yeah. other walks of life. And I asked him if he could provide an example of of one of those. And basically, he he drew upon North Carolina's kind of fast break offense um, yeah. in helping them win national championships. And and it kind of reminded me of that, right? 
boom, pick up that third down with a nice gain through the air. Bajan breaks a big, long run, then we've got them on their heels. All right, we're going to hit them with another kind of right hook and get Kyle Pitts in there for the touchdown. So it was a little bit of that element of an offense that we haven't really seen, probably certainly to the degree that, that Arthur Smith wanted this year, but it was fun to kind of see it come to fruition at least, and definitely at the start of a game, which is has not really been the case. Um, and then I also noticed watching the Monday Night Football lineups uh, last night, the Philly game, on one of the Eagles' long uh, touchdowns in that game, I noticed that a receiver was just absolutely pancaking like a safety or a corner into yeah, the end zone. Yeah, you want to know who it was? Yes, yeah, tell everybody. Olamide Zacchaeus. Yes, it was. And I was like, boom, right there. That's that's why he stayed here in Atlanta. That's why he, you know, when some other receivers were gone or when they, you know, made kind of the change and cleaned up the locker room and got their guys in here, like he's a there's a reason that he was one of the players. Even though he's a little undersized, he's tenacious. He gets after it in the run game. And hey, the Eagles saw the same thing and it helped on that uh on that touchdown. You know, that would not have surprised me if he had signed here in free agency this offseason. Didn't happen. You know, and they went with other guys in, in, instead. But it wouldn't have shocked me because of that physicality. That's what yep. Arthur Smith likes in his receivers. If you can't be physical, he, it doesn't necessarily fit what they want to do offensively. Yeah. Um, and, and you can listen to them talk about it and hear them say it. And, and, and they say it enough. It's like at some point, just believe what they're saying. Like they're actually tell like these guys are way more transparent than most coaching staffs. Mm-hmm. If you actually listen, right? No, I'm not saying you don't. But I'm just saying in general. Like I've said that for three years. If you actually listen to what they're saying, like you mentioned the North Carolina stuff, I talked to to both Bergoin and Arthur Smith about that as well. Like I mean, they've taken a lot of stuff from basketball yeah. and basketball coaches because both Art and Dave have a true love for that sport as well. Uh, you know, they took some stuff from, from the Memphis Grizzlies, like the, the 2010s Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I saw a play in the preseason where Drake, it was just a mesh concept. And yeah. instead of Drake London kind of running off the, the screen in the other direction on the mesh and keeping it going, he almost did like a, a pick and roll pivot to the basket. And he just kind of, yeah. once he cleared the, that guard, he just kind of, boom, rolled out and just dropped right kind of in the right at the goal line. And I was like, that's a, then, an awesome little wrinkle I've never seen before. And that's something, those are things that, you know, I, Arthur Smith gets a lot of criticism as a play caller, but if they get better pass protection going forward, if they get better quarterback play going forward, I think we're going to see more open up of what they've been plotting. More or less. I think they felt like they could do a lot of it with Desmond Ritter for a while, but then it, they just couldn't hold on to the ball. And then all of a sudden you're putting a, a second and 10 or a second or whatever because you fumble it or, or, or what have you. And that take that cuts, you know, a third of the playbook. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like there's a lot of stuff in, in their bag of tricks that it feels like there was a yeah. lot that they didn't get to <laughs> this year that they, oh, for sure, that they had in mind. Yeah. And, and one would think that when Arthur Smith's going in to have a conversation with his boss about the future and whether he'll still be here, you know, and, mm-hmm. and because Arthur, because Jeff Schultz has talked to Arthur Blank a couple of times, he went on, Arthur Blank went on Georgia Public Broadcasting and said, like, they'll figure it out at the end of the year. Yep. But I imagine that will be some of the things he's going to point to you and say, look, this is what my offense is supposed to be. You've seen what it can be. You know, I mean, I, I would imagine it was pull up Sunday's team. You know, I need to get a quarterback. Like, and this is what, if I were them, I would do. I'd be like, listen, thought Desmond Ritter would be the guy. He became not the guy. Put ourselves in a situation. You knew this was going to be a longer rebuild. Operation one is to get a quarterback this offseason by, by any means necessary uh, to because that's what they feel like they're missing. Now, by saying any means necessary, it's not like they're trading Bajan. Or, uh, you right. know, I would imagine Drake London's probably not someone they would consider moving. But... Otherwise, you know, Chris Lindstrom, A, for multiple reasons, probably not moving here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, otherwise, yeah, you're, you're going to figure out a way to get a quarterback, whether it's the free agency, the draft, or trade, that they can do that.
it seemed, you know, leading into this game, into the Colts game, knowing that the Falcons had kind of dropped a huge opportunity in in the division against Carolina, everything seemed as bleak as it, as, as frankly, that game in Carolina looked and felt. But now coming off of this, we we finally saw the offense look the way that that we all expected it to in training camp. The defense continues to be, I think, if if Atlanta were in kind of Tampa Bay's position and they were finally about to kind of head into the playoffs and they may still, but at this point it does feel like a long shot. I feel like Atlanta's defense would start to gain some momentum as like one of the fun stories around the league is like oh, one of the most surprising units. And unfortunately they just kind of haven't gotten that recognition and love, but here in Atlanta, I mean, they have been the story I think of, of the season outside of quarterback play and outside of the turnovers and kind of what that, <laughs> that cost you. But Right now, kind of this positivity, how much did this win and more importantly, the way that the team won and the way that they looked against an AFC playoff, you know, hopeful, how much did that do for Arthur Smith's job security in 2024? I mean, it couldn't hurt. It definitely helped. Like, I I mean, I've. Yeah, I I feel like you needed one of these. I I think you needed at least one of the three. Yeah, especially after they lost to Carolina. I think he needed at least one of them, right? Because the worst they'll do is match last year. Um, and, and I was saying this actually uh, on Sportsman like uh, on Tuesday. And we were talking about that. And I said, when you're viewing Arthur Smith, you have to look at the whole picture, right? Because I would argue you had two years of overachieving mm-hmm. based off of rosters, right? That first year, 7-10, and 10, kind of in the playoff picture with – you know, Russell Gage was their number one receiver. And, and at one point, OZ was the number one yeah. receiver because Ridley had left and Gage was hurt. Um, and really, Pitts was their only passing option. Uh, you know, and you had Mike, and really, CP was their only running back because <laughs> yeah. Mike Davis couldn't do anything. You know, so you sat there and you said, okay, that's, that's what they're looking at. Sure. Uh, and their defense was bad. You know, I mean, the defense was starting Deion Jones, and Deion Jones was was clearly not a fit, and you, you just had a lot of issues all over the place. You know, right. remember Fabian Moreau was like their second corner. Um, then last year, you took on all the salary cap hit. You had a major quarterback question, a very young team, and you won seven games again. Well, you definitely overachieved there. You know, in some cases, maybe close to doubling the win total there. So you have two seasons of overachieving. And then this year, which you can argue was at expectation or below expectation, depending what the expectation was. And I think the expectation that a lot of people had, myself included, when we were talking about the preseason, was with average quarterback play. And they did not get that for the majority. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, I would argue that with below average quarterback play, this is probably the high end of what I thought it might be. Yeah. Um, at, at seven wins and, and maybe more. And so I, I think all of that comes into the construct as well, um, because they've also been close in every game, but what two? Yeah, hey, it's Jacksonville. You know, and Detroit. I mean, really, the Detroit and Jacksonville games back. Maybe back. Tennessee. You know, you could argue. No, because I mean that was a one percent. They had the ball with a chance to win at the end. That's true, but I mean it. It just didn't feel that way. It, no, I, it's I know. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you knew when they got the ball back. This, all right, you know, I remember like looking, but again, honestly, I, I was I turned to the person. I was sitting next to you with the Carolina game uh, when Carolina got the ball back after Ritter's interception. I was like, they, they might, they're going to lose this game. Yeah, I, I had kind of the same thing. You know, because sometimes you can just tell and you can get sense the vibe. You know, even though I'm in a press box, like I'm around these guys four days a week to four to five days a week. Um, and I'm in the building and you get the sense of stuff. And I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, so all that, to, when we're going back to the job security question, I, I don't know. I mean, Arthur, Arthur Blank has not talked with me. Uh, I know he's talked to a couple of other people here and there. You know, like we saw him talk to Connor Schultz. We saw him talk to Georgia Public Broadcasting. Uh, and that's the extent of it. But I don't think this is an easy decision for him because if it was a decision, and Schultz wrote this too, and I agree with him, this was an easy decision the decision would have been made already. And it's possible the decision has been made. And, you know, there's a level of respect there mm-hmm. because 
there's clearly Arthur Blank likes Arthur Smith. Like, I don't think there's any question about that. Right. And, uh, and Terry Farner and Arthur Smith get along. It doesn't seem like there's any issues there. It, you know, and, and Arthur Smith, too, this is the biggest point, I, I would say, when we're talking about this. The locker room still buys in. Yes. Yep. Like, to a person, still seems to buy in. And again, I'm there every day. I talk to dudes. I see, I've been in locker rooms where dudes don't buy in anymore. Mm-hmm. And those places are ghost towns. Those yeah. play, they, you're hearing guys openly question stuff. I, I mean, the only, the, one of the only times I've heard someone openly question stuff was after week one of year one with Arthur Smith. When Calvin really? Ridley was kind of, yeah, because I don't know if you remember this, Calvin Ridley had said something. Calvin Ridley, of all people, had said something about, like, I, I'd have to go back and get what the exact quote was. I was like, oh. Yeah, but that was it. Yeah. Like, I mean, you don't really hear that. You you instead hear guys saying, you know, and I mean, I can tell you, it's not only the guys who you hear publicly in the scrums, too. It's other guys I've just talked to in the locker room. Van Jefferson and I had a, an amazing conversation on Sunday after the game. Like, just, I didn't have a recorder in his face. I was just kind of asking, no, you know, the vibe great. in the hut. And he is very, just, he gets it. And that's what this locker room what feels is- like, is is guys who carry themselves professionally, carry themselves with a certain yeah. respect for the game, respect for the people around them doing their best. Like that at the end of the, when things went South at the end of the the Dan Quinn era, the locker room was, was filled with players who not necessarily front runners, but players who, when you built that momentum and the snowball was rolling in your favor could be unstoppable. But when you yeah. had to push that snowball back up the hill that's not their strength and that's not what they were really there to do. And you felt it. And it was kind of like, all right, man, we're out of this. I'm out. And I'm, I'm not going to be here for open locker room. Sorry, man, we got special teams meetings. And they say that for four weeks in a row. And it's like, nobody here is cares to be here. Really. It doesn't feel like people want to be held accountable for, for what's going wrong and, and take some action to fix it. And then you see guys like Calais Campbell sitting down with Zach Harrison after you know, you lose to Tampa Bay and, and mentoring him. And it's kind of like, all right, well, that's, that's cool to see. They're not out of this. They don't feel like it's, it's curtains for them. They still have a role to play. Well, part of that too is, I mean, those are, it goes, you hear Arthur Smith talk a lot about, well, he believes they have the right guys. They went after the right guy. Talk a lot about character, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Calais is a great example. I mean, there's no bigger example of character combined with, good play yeah. in the NFL. He's like Tim Duncan perhaps. to me. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, he might be as tall as Tim too, actually, but like <laughs> he is because Calais is a legit six, eight. He's not a basketball six, eight. He's a legit six, eight. Sometimes yeah. he doesn't look at it because you know, his back comes over a little bit, but like, yeah, he's, he's a legit six, eight, but seriously, like, I mean, he, he's fantastic, but they brought in every guy they brought in. Bud Dupree is an ex. You don't see mm-hmm. it as much from Bud, but he's an excellent mentor to some of those young, Edge rushers, and also by the way, not playing terribly himself, right? Um, yeah. For a veteran guy, like they, they were really smart with the veterans that they targeted, especially once they could actually spend some money to get you know some of those guys. David Omanyata has been another one of those guys. You don't hear him as much. So as is Albert league. Albert Huggins. I mean, we sit there and we yeah. watch, we watch kind of before the games, and he's kind of the vocal. Like you can tell that you know when the ball when the ball is kicked off. Right, the the role of a, a David Onyemata, a role of a Zach Harrison, honestly, is probably larger. Lakeel London's role probably a little bit larger than Albert Albert Huggins, but like he is there to be that that guy that when you're warming up an hour and a half before the game, he's pushing you to get everything out yeah. of that warm up period. He's trying to make you better. They need guys like that. Every team needs guys like that in each position group room. Well, the guy when I covered Detroit, uh, there was a guy in my early years there named Daryl Tapp. He's now actually the assistant defensive line coach under Chris Kasarik in San Francisco. That's awesome. And a guy, and a guy that um, I think will eventually be a defensive line coach somewhere in the NFL sooner rather than later, potentially, especially if they continue to yeah. roll if they have. But one of the things that Jim Washburn, who's like a legend among defensive line coaches, had said, because Kasarik was kind of on the Washburn earlier, was he described um, 
Daryl Tapp as a force multiplier. And what that meant was an energy, a tutelage. I mean, like, yeah. I watched Daryl Tapp. And Tapp's great dude. But, like, I watched Tapp take guys and kind of do what Calais is doing, right? Take guys like Devin Taylor, who didn't end up, it didn't work out, like, under his wing. Like, you bring him to his house in Virginia in the offseason to stay to kind of help to, because he's like, man, this kid's got all the potential in the world. So you need guys like that. Every good locker room, every good team has guys like that. You don't always need the most talented guys, but you mm-hmm. need guys. Like, I don't know if you play Madden, Will. I don't know if your listeners play Madden, but you always see like that mentor tag yeah. in Madden. Like, that's what that's what every locker room needs. You need four or five of those guys on each side of the ball and to, to really have that and to buy in to that. Now, on the offensive side, Janu has been that in mm-hmm. some ways, even though he's kind of a guy more in his prime. They had Jake Matthews already installed in that way. Um, I mean, Taylor in some ways is that. That's what they hope Marcus was, and Marcus was for a point last year. Um, defensively, this, defensively this year is where they really focused it with guys like Calais. Even a guy like Jesse Bates, who's only 26 years old, I mean, you talk to anybody in that locker room and the respect for Jesse Bates, not only because he's playing at an all-pro level, but the respect for Jesse Bates. I mean, I, I, I've talked to yeah, – yeah, well, I've talked – it's funny. I've talked to Calais about this a few times um, on the record, so I can say this, that when Calais got – you know, Calais has been like a leader of where he's been. But when he got here, he was – his whole thing was I want to be – kind of take a secondary backseat approach and kind of help where I can because he knew this was Grady Jarrett's defense, right? Mm-hmm. And it's no coincidence that they put Calais Campbell in the same locker they put Rashawn Evans last year, which is right next to AJ Terrell. Because like that's a, a clear like even though they're not the same position, mentor guy that they that they believe in can that's a great leader because Rashawn is a really good leader. And like that corner, like whoever is always in that locker, I'm like, that guy's going to always be a guy I want to go talk to because they, it's like the good talker corner. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and, and that, but AJ has said, like, that helps, right? And you got other guys, like, you got guys like Lorenzo Carter who's been around for a while. Yep. And saying, oh man, Calais helps. But they all to a person, even, but my point is until Grady got hurt, remember, Calais wasn't the captain, Grady was. And then Calais started going out once Grady got hurt. For the cool, and really, once Grady got hurt, it became very much okay. Jesse and Co- like Calais felt like he had to step up, but it was still Jesse the guy that mm-hmm. was the guy. I, and, and that was the type of guys that they wanted to bring in, even a guy like Caden Ellis. Yeah. Um, you know, for that linebacker group, because Caden has, even though Caden really didn't play the position a ton, he um, had more experience than Troy Anderson and Nate Landman. Mm-hmm. You know, and, so it's it's been interesting to see kind of that evolution defensively and the fact that defensively some of those leaders have really spread um, offensively as well. Like in the locker room, we have Jesse Bates' locker essentially next to Desmond Ritter. And Kyle Pitts not too far away. And Grady Jarrett's Grady Jarrett's like next to Matthew Bergeron. This is all planned. Yeah. Like this like the, and I actually asked somebody why because some teams I've been around, they do it like this, where it's like all oh, hodgepodge. Some are position group. Right. And the reason they, the, my understanding of why they did this is they want the whole team to know one another, not just position groups to be close. Because you're going to be close to the guys in your position group if your team is worth its salt, because you're with those guys all the time. Yeah. But if you can get cohesiveness around the entire unit and the entire team, that's when it really works. And, and that's really what been something that Arthur's done in this locker room that I think has really helped. Uh, buy in the offense and defense. So when the offense was struggling for a good portion of the year, the defense wasn't just like, ah, these guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're blowing it for us, which I've seen in locker rooms before too. Oh, and it would have been so easy (laughs) given the way the defense was playing and given veteran defense, young offense, a quarterback who kept making mistakes. But then also when the offense was playing well and the defense kept giving up game winning drives, which you know, uh, is with a certain segment of the Falcons fan base blasphemous to talk about, but it's true that has mm-hmm. been a problem this year late in games. Now, some of that's offensively driven because they haven't been able to stay on the field offensively, so it's made the defense tired. Right. But yeah, I mean, that like there was no blame there, too. You know, if anything, there was frustration, but it was overall frustration. I think that this roster kind of they've done a really good job of bringing in not only the 
the captains, right, who are the teachers, but also still can can show as much as they can tell, right? They can set the yeah. example on the field and off of the field. Um, but then also, you know, they've got the young guys that clearly are learning from Zach Harrison to Calais Campbell. That's like a clear one-to-one, a Jesse Bates to a, an AJ Terrell. But they also then kind of surrounded him with, you brought up Lorenzo Carter. I know Bud Dupree is a little bit of a veteran, but, you know, a Caden Ellis, like these guys who you don't have to worry about, right? It's not everybody on the team is either a mentor or a mentee. You've got your specific pairings or, you know, one guy to, to a few young guys that you really want to link them with. But then everybody else, you can just kind of trust, hey, you're not going to get all of our attention, but we know that you're going to go out there and, and still really perform. When you were going through the list of, of guys and specifically when you're kind of trying to name some of them on offense, I think it's much easier to point to the defensive side of the ball and find mm-hmm. these examples. And I, I think it's, you know, not necessarily a coincidence that that's where the focus was in free agency was on the defensive side of the ball and that they really brought in not just the on-field aspects they covet, but that locker room building chemistry that they want. If, and we know we already had the quarterback discussion, and that obviously is on offense. If Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot are still here this offseason in 2024, do you expect to maybe see a similar type of investment on the offensive side of the ball this offseason to maybe get some of these voices and help the chemistry over there. Not saying that it's bad, not saying that it's off. It is younger on that side, I think. Um, I think it, it all starts with the quarterback there. True. It's a different offense and defense are so different because of the singular nature of the quarterback and the singular focus of the quarterback. Right? I mean, like the closest thing is safety. Is, is that is sometimes the middle linebacker or in this defense, Jesse? Right. I'd say, you know, or you can argue Grady in the middle, but Grady's not on the field 100%. Yeah. So Jesse, like, that it's all going to on offense. It's all going to start with the quarterback. Um, but I think it's telling then that that their big move defensively to kick things off at least was safety, right? So you know, well, I, but it was also the type of player Jesse is because it, it goes to that versatility. Because Jesse can play. He's yeah. He's it a was free like the perfect in thing. Yeah, he was just right, kind he's of the a right free guy. safety yeah. in this defense only because the other guys they have next to him, whether it's Richie Grant or Demarco Hellams, are not as good in coverage. So they're not as good in the back, the deep back, because Jesse uh, in Cincinnati played in the box and was equally as good. You know, he played more. He can play either safety spot. He can play really all three spots if you go into a big nickel at safety. So, you know, he could even theoretically play linebacker if you really need him to. But it's like that's that's part of it. Like that was what attracted them to him. Plus, Steve Jackson knew him, you know, and it coached him, so he understood the mental makeup and. Jesse Bates, like a lot of the guys they brought in for one reason or another, had something to prove and were hungry. I mean, you know, Jesse had to prove that contract, but also that he was really one of the best safeties in the NFL for seeing that this year. Yeah. Calais Campbell, you know, was kind of the last guy to bring in, but he was like, he's chasing a ring, you know? Bud Dupree was hurt and came off of that. Jeff Okuda, they traded for because, yeah. you know, and Jeff's obviously having his struggles, but. They, they traded for him, and he was playing well for the first he half was. of the year. Really, probably until that ankle injury in New York, um, I thought he'd been playing pretty well. And, and you know, it seems like since that, and it seems like now they're buying into Clark Phillips. But that's the thing: Demarco Helms, Clark Phillips, those guys are now able to to play a bit more because you have that the safety net around them in, in, in the defense that you can use them. In, and they've been able to learn for three quarters of a season. That season, that's why when when fans talk about, oh, hey, that, that guy was picked so early, why is he not playing right away? Well, right. I mean, both those guys are day three picks. It's a little bit of a different scenario, but but sometimes it takes time. Like if you would put Demarco Helms and Clark Phillips out there on day one, this team probably would be like five and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Because they would have made mistakes. And we'll see what happens. But now all of a sudden they have depth because Richie's still under contract next year. You know, Je- Okuda is not. Um, but you're you're probably going to look to add corners. I mean, the corner when you look at the defense, corner is probably a spot that th- they have to really consider looking at in free agency. I would think whether they bring mm-hmm. back some of their own guys. Like I know people are all about like why is Mike Hughes playing over Dialfer? Well, Mike Hughes is playing pretty. Yeah, even he, I thought he had a really good game last week. Yeah, I think he's playing pretty well. I, I don't know what D did 
wrong. I think some of it is that maybe D isn't quite as good in run support. Um, and, and they've played some teams that really run the ball a bit, you know, and really sun, this Sunday will be no exception. We'll see what it looks like, I think, with New Orleans. And, you know, it would not shock me if he played more against New Orleans. Uh, but we'll see. I, I'm very curious to see what this looks like going forward. But to your question on the offense, yeah, I think that it starts at quarterback, but it would not shock me if they, I mean, I think they have the mentor in the tight end room. And it's a young group. They, they might even have too many because, I mean, they we really obviously like Parker Hesse. They just signed Tucker Fisk. So, I mean, Tucker Fisk has been apparently playing really well. Um, he's a really interesting dude, by the way, like all in ecology and stuff. Um, no, I, I actually ran into him at Music Midtown. <laughs> nice. Because he was like, you know, practical, whatever. He wasn't, you know, so, yeah, it was funny. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, but like receivers, a spot that they probably need to continue making over and figuring that out. Um, running back, we'll see what happens with with Cordero uh, because they'll they'll definitely have to add there. I would think one way or the other uh, behind, but that's not a massive add. That's maybe you bring in a veteran, like a veteran, mm-hmm. unless you, unless CP wants to run it back with you and you want to run it back with CB. CP probably had a. Reduce, I would imagine it's some sort of reduced cost. Um, and then the quarterback situation, offensive line, you're in pretty good shape. Um, maybe except for, I mean, you got to decide what you want at center and what you want at right tackle. But you have your leaders there, right? Jake yeah. and Chris. Yeah. And, th- and that's really the offensive tone setters too, are, are Lindstrom and Matthews. You know, I, what I'm curious about going back to that locker room conversation before is so they're, you know, they're doing all these renovations. Their locker room is going to be much bigger next year. Yeah, um, that's true. And it is now I'm curious to see what that, because like they're forced into a tight space right now. So you got to know those guys. Like mm-hmm. where I'll be curious to see what that looks like and how they got divided up uh, in the offseason. For sure. Yeah, no, it, it is a great point. And, and the chemistry element, I, I know we've spent a long time on it here, but I, I do think that it's, it's very important and it is one of the big selling points for why you would continue to have faith in Arthur Smith moving forward because uh, it's not just, you know, the the outcome of of a single play, right? Does not ultimately define whether a, per, uh, a person is a good coach or not. There's so much stuff that happens that nobody ever sees but is impactful and ultimately ladders up to winning. And for me, like when going all the way back and you saying that the first two years should be seen as an overachievement, I kind of think that that is really the clear dividing point between a lot of people who are just had it and they're ready to see him gone and kind of the camp that I fall in, which is no, this year was uh, year three, but it was also just year one. And I think we, we had talked about that before a lot, this training camp and the work that he did in year one and two kind of proved to me, all right, this guy knows football. This guy knows how to compete in every single game. He knows kind of what it takes to to win football and keep it close. And that was just so different than what we had seen previously that even though this year didn't go, you know, the way they planned it, I think I was a little bit more primed to look for the reasons beyond the coach because in my mind it was easier to look at the quarterback turning the ball over late or you know that last minute drive from the defense or the fact that your kicker missed a field goal in the first quarter and therefore like that kind of just did so it's all these other little things and let's wrap up kind of on this this two by the way against Tampa you know missed two two so there you go I mean it's it's just kind of there are these things all throughout, and it does sound like making excuses, but also... No, well, some of it, too, not to go down this road a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes a failed play call in week three is a successful play call in week 10. Yep. Because a team saw it, they saw how to stop it, they do it again, and you've added a wrinkle to to make a success. Like, mm-hmm. you know, some of it is... The, now, I'm not saying that they're doing it for that reason. No. No, but it's... But yeah. there's a setup. There's a setup in failure that can lead to success. You see it in not to sound like Arthur Smith. Like you see it in business. You see it in all walks of life. Like su- failure cannot failure if you learn from it and are willing to learn from it can lead to successes. For and sure. Yeah. That and that again, if I'm Arthur Smith going to Arthur Blank, that's probably part of the conversation that I'm having too. And one that you would think Arthur Blank, from a business perspective, would understand. Yeah, that's the, that's the yeah. other key here, right? Like Arthur Smith can talk to Arthur Blank on a in a business sense and on a business level mm-hmm. differently. And that can, ha- I, I'm, I'm curious to see how this all plays out. 
I am too. I mean, I, there, yeah, there's no question that he's comfortable in that realm and with these, you know, people who are business minded and that that is their background. Right. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a great point also about kind of the setting up because sometimes the, the play can be a jab that's meant to set up the haymaker later and they just kind of look the same. And so there's all that, but let's end here. So we saw kind of a different Atlanta team, not defensively, but offensively for sure. And then the cohesion, young way making five field goals, should have mentioned him. Uh, obviously, kind of got bailed out at the beginning there. Who knows how Did that day would have gone? Yeah, that that felt a little tight. That was a little that was a little iffy and gross feeling for a second. But just the cohesion, how each unit kind of fed off one another. Each phase of the ball kind of came together. Really, for again the first time, it felt like this season. Do you expect to see more of that over the last two games, or do you think this will end up kind of being the high point? And the reason I ask you this because I hate predict the future questions, but I'll give you a lot of credit before the game. When we were talking, you were like, I wouldn't be shocked if, if this one is kind of a, a good game for the Falcons. So you were right about that. You think the the good vibes will continue? I think they're going to certainly try to do that. I mean, listen, this is a team that has one on the road this year, it's at the jets and a couple of other places, but uh, I, I think, I think there's a reason there's a reasonable I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. There's a reason I'm not, this is not a cop out answer. Like there's reasons to see it both ways. Right. Like I, I have, I saw these guys at the low point of their season and what has been their high point of their season, seven days apart from one another. Hmm. Right. But that speaks to the exact problem that's happened this season because the biggest issue has been consistency. Right. So, that goes into another data point, like what we've talked about, right? Like even if these guys don't, let's like, let's say they play well against Chicago, play well against the Orleans, end up splitting. Let's just for argument's sake say that, but they play well, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's very clear they're playing well. A fluky thing happens here or there, or the Saints or Bears, both of whom are capable of playing well, as we've seen, and also playing yeah. poorly, consistent as well. You know, similar situation. Well, if you're starting to see consistency, that's what matters. That to me is what I'm looking for more than a win or a loss is are they playing consistently? Have they stopped making silly mistakes, you know, or bad mistakes or correctable mistakes or like mistakes that are like not random mistakes that sometimes happen, but like stuff that can be coached out. That's what I'm looking at. Um, Yeah. I think that they can continue this. It's certainly reasonable to think that they can, but it's also equally as reasonable to say, hey, this was a great game for them, but look what they did the week before. Look what they Mm -hmm. did the week before that. Because they actually played okay against Tampa. You know, Uh, the week before that, it was a great defensive game, a bad offensive game. The defense has been more consistent than the offense. So to me, it's offensive consistency that's the bigger bigger question than defensive. But I, I think they can. Whether they will or not, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's the right it's the right question and the right point to end on because again, this was the sixth time that they've topped four hundred yards offensively this season, right? So the we've have not seen it all kind of feel as good as it was on Sunday, yeah. but they've moved the ball before. They have found things that have worked for stretches. The consistency has been the biggest problem, but as we started the conversation by saying it felt like in this game, you were getting much more consistency from the quarterback position. And that play at that position was allowing your offense to build a level of consistency, keep us a certain amount of balance that really did, I I think lend itself to such a great showing that we saw. So Mike, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join me. Everybody can follow you on uh, on twitter i still say twitter i know you say x and sometimes twix which i find delightful at my well, now I'm on threads I'm on threads too. oh now I'm you're on, on threads that's true yeah yeah i'm on i'm on all of all of your social media platforms uh at the same thing I, i'm on tiktok but i don't use it i'm on clubhouse but i don't use that remember clubhouse that was like a thing for like five minutes yeah um <laughs> i'm on all i think I, if there's a social media platform i'm not on please uh, inform me what it is, and I will also sign up for that. Try to sign up for it with my same name, uh, just for branding. And yeah, you're just collecting purpose. usernames. Yeah, yeah, just trying to. Yeah, it's trying to squat more than anything else. 
Yeah, but you know, you can obviously check out some of my work uh, or all of my work at ESPN.com. If you listen to this Thursday morning early or you listen to this and you want to hear more of me, uh, you can listen to me and Courtney Cronin on Thursday and on Friday. We are on our Sportsman Life uh, on ESPN2 from 6 to 8, from ESPNU from 6 to 10, and, of course, on ESPN Radio. Uh, and, you know, hopefully I'll be back on your podcast again soon as well. Well, have of a happy course. new year, everybody. I was actually, as you were doing that, I was thinking about, all right, when is the next best time to, uh, to have you on? So don't worry. I'm already, I imagine one, one way or the other, the answer will be soon. soon. When will now be then? Will soon. Uh, this was a blast. So thank you so much again, Mike. Happy, happy to do it. Happy new year, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope it was informative. Only two games remaining, but this third to last one was a great showing for the Falcons. And yeah, I thought we tried to cover as much, you know, about the game itself, but also the bigger, broader implications of what it can mean moving forward, which, you know, unfortunately, even though the Falcons do still have a, uh, a path to the playoffs, unfortunately, it feels like we're at the point where we're having some of these bigger, broader conversations. Um, about the Falcons. But Monday morning, you can look forward to a nice, great, in-depth conversation about one specific game, and that will be the upcoming matchup against the Chicago Bears. So hopefully the Falcons can go on the road, get a win. Haven't checked the weather, so not sure uh, what that's going to look like, but we do know it'll be cold this time of year in Chicago. So Falcons, dress warmly, get up there, uh, go take care of your business, and then we can start talking about something maybe building here uh, for this team and and some momentum that you can carry over uh, into the offseason. So again, thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. Go check out our uh, our YouTube channel, Believe in Falcons. Same name. If you guys have any suggestions, questions, anything at all that you would like to uh, send to the show, you can believe in Falcons at gmail.com is our email address. So go ahead and shoot us a note over there. This podcast as always was presented by that online that will do it for me. Everybody, please have a happy new year. We will see you guys again in 2024. Hopefully talking about a Falcons win, but we will be here regardless. So until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.